and welcome to the In It Together podcast brought to you by Co-op and hosted by me, Yasmin Evans. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the idea of sober curiosity and asking whether it's time to rethink that no booze, no fun attitude. Joining me today are former TV star Spencer Matthews, who gave up drinking in 2018 and launched the Clean Liquor Company in 2019 with a selection of low alcohol spirits from gin to rum. And Laura Willoughby, MBE, one of the directors and founders of Club Soda, the mindful drinking movement aimed at creating a world where no one feels out of place when they're not drinking. And finally, Simon Cairns, head of drinks at Co-op and part of the team that launched the company's low alcohol range. Thank you, guys. I mean, I feel very lucky to be able to have this um, open conversation and for all of us to speak from our own experiences, past, present and future. So first, I'd like to just talk to all of you individually about the term sober curious. Laura, if I could start with you. Yeah, I mean, people have got different terms. We use mindful drinking um, because that encapsulates all sorts of different decisions people make about drinking, whether it's just not drinking tonight because you might be driving or going to the gym in the morning or that you may never have drunk before. It's worth pointing out that there's probably, I think it's a good 4 million people in the UK have never drunk. So um, that sort of encapsulates everybody who I want to bring into our world of exploring the new wave of low and no and exploring the way that pubs and venues have changed what they're doing to accommodate, uh, you know, a consumer who wants to think a little bit more about what they're drinking and maybe make different decisions on different days. Yeah. And what's your experience personally with with alcohol? So I gave up drinking eight years ago. So, and that's definitely the right decision for me. My co-founders are both mindful drinkers. I'd probably say that not drinking is their default and occasionally they have a drink. So for me, there was nothing when I gave up drinking eight years ago. There were no alcohol-free drinks. All you would get in the pub was a half a pint of Coke squeezed out of a hose and served at you as if you were 12 and about to go make <laughs> the car park for your dad. So um this new wave of drinks that's come through that is both feeding a new trend of people drinking less across the generations, but is also inspiring other people to rethink their drinking because there are options that are tasty when you go out or when you go to the supermarket to pick up something to drink at home. Yeah, absolutely. And and Spencer, I mentioned that you gave up drinking in 2018. Yeah. Um, so prior to that, what was your experience with alcohol? Pretty regular, unsustainable. Uh, I, I enjoyed a drink kind of more than most. Um, I was never kind of in the in the like wallowing in self pity or, or upset with my life. I just I felt like it was um, kind of like you know driving with the handbrake on. As I grew older and my responsibility increased, and I met uh, my, my my beautiful, lovely wife, I kind of felt the chances of being the kind of man that I wanted to be was was slimming. Right. But what felt like by the day, and what essentially was a bad habit, turned into just a bit of a disappointing lifestyle uh, for me. And it just got in the way. It really got in the way. And by the way, I'm not anti-drinking, and, and much like Laura here, we're not. We don't. I think I can speak for both of us when I say that mindful drinking is very well put. Sober curiosity is a wonderful way of looking at it as well. I understand alcohol's place in society, but for me, I needed a real break uh, from it or to really change my my relationship with it in order to achieve my potential. And I feel as though it was a real hindrance. So toward, you know, when fatherhood was just around the corner, uh, 
I was struggling to understand how I was going to be the kind of father that I always wanted to be if I, if I was kind of constantly a bit stupefied or a little bit drunk, you know, kind of most of the time. Yeah. Uh, and I just feel that alcohol has always been glorified in such a kind of positive way. And the world has definitely woken up. As Laura said, options were just completely scarce before. And it kind of painted a very black and white picture of you either drink alcohol or you don't drink alcohol. And if you don't drink alcohol, you're boring or there's something wrong with you, or you're pregnant, or why wouldn't you be drinking when drinking is fun? And I think now people are keen to spend their money on experiences, memorable experiences, and kind of activity as opposed to and getting drunk. And it's kind of no longer cool to be that drunk, loud character that I once was. Uh, uh, and the world is naturally moving in, in a kind of healthier more moderate uh, drinking pattern yeah. and, and, and moderation is, is a kind of fantastic way of, of being a healthier person. Yeah, absolutely. Now, worth a note that there, there are four people in this episode, as I mentioned earlier, two of which don't drink, two of which do on occasion. And Laura, I do love the term mindful drinking because I think I have always, well, not always, it's definitely some things and choices that I've made under the influence that I have the beer fear afterwards, but I've, I've, um, I've always been able to manage my relationship with alcohol, which I'm, I'm very grateful for. But Simon, what's, what's your experience with, with alcohol? Well, I mean, personally, I've been involved in the alcohol industry for a long time now, uh, 16 years. But actually, I think it's great that this is described as being curious because I genuinely am. I think from a, from a professional perspective, I can't uh, ignore the fact that uh, 20% of under 25s don't drink. There is a, a big cultural shift, certainly from that generation Z towards not drinking. And in a professional capacity as a retailer, our role is to respond to the needs of our customer base. So actually allowing people and helping people to make credible choices where they're not going to be disappointed. They're going to find something that suits their lifestyle in terms of health, flavor profile or refreshment or whatever it is they're looking for is genuinely something that I professionally really want to explore personally as i say i've been involved in the industry a long time and i've enjoyed probably more than my fair share of boozy lunches over that time and i am very conscious uh, that because i interact with alcohol on a fairly regular basis i've got to be very and mindful again is a great word mindful of not overstepping the mark um, and it is a constant drumbeat at the back of my mind how much is too much? And finding an alternative. My my love of alcohol has probably come through a love of food, you know, the interaction between the two. And part of my problem as a consumer is I can't always get those flavour profiles that I'm looking for from a non-alcoholic alternative that actually become a, a credible addition to a meal. And that's where I'm, I'm really keen to try and get that, that insight. Genuinely, my mind is open I think we are kind of fed the fact, you know, if we go to a, a nice, authentic Italian restaurant or we go to, you know, we actually go to Italy, like we must have pasta with a crisp glass of Pinot Gris. You know, that's the, it's, a, it's an yeah, image yeah. that we, yeah. we have many yeah. myths about alcohol. Yeah. That, yeah. that must justify yeah. every drop. <laughs> but I like pasta. I don't, I don't need the wine. I'm all right. I, I met someone the other day who said, well, my daughter's getting married and it wouldn't be a wedding without champagne. And I thought, no, no, it really would be a wedding without champagne because that's not the main part of a wedding, right? 
you, yeah. you yeah. don't necessarily know what's in everyone's glass. If you didn't know, would it make the wedding any more or less different? No, it's the wedding that's the important thing. So being with people, um, we're very culturally hardwired to believe that the only way that we can make friends and socialize is when we're half cut which is actually quite worrying we yeah. drink to stay at things we're not enjoying when did that happen you know if you really think about it you go home put your onesie on and watch a box set if you're not enjoying something rather than writing off your next two days so you're right there's a lot of cultural hardwiring in our dna and i guess what people are beginning to do is to question that and find alternatives and i think that, that driver isn't just young people it's actually across the age range i agree with that as well somebody said uh to me about our products the other day well it was online they said but but this won't get you drunk so what's the point hmm. and it's like well that that is the point <laughs> and and it, and it, and it <laughs> that's that's the point and and if you flip it on its head and again i'm not here to preach about being anti-alcohol but what's the point of getting drunk that if you know if you think about it the other way around if you're going to a bar or a pub and you're ingesting a bunch of alcohol to get drunk where's the sense in that you know and I think most people would say it's it's because it's fun and it's because it's you know it's it's normal but but actually most of my experience with being very drunk is that it's not fun there's a level certainly the after effect is not much fun well exactly I mean you know again I'm sounding preachy but if you were trying to explain it to somebody who'd never drank before an alien for example just I used this as an example the other day Mm. try explaining to that alien how drinking alcohol makes sense you can't really do you think that, so imagine if you're trying to explain, imagine this, whoever's listening now is like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm such a, an introvert and, and, you know, I need some Dutch courage or, you know, yeah. that, that, that term and that phrase gets used quite a lot or I'm not the person that I want to be. You know, I, I like to have a bit of a drink because it gives me, you know, I can go and talk to a person that I don't know, But to be honest, if, if, if that works for you as a little bit of Dutch courage and you don't end up with a stinking hangover and feeling other anxiety the following days and that's, fine but it's when it gets to a point where you find yourself unable to stop in the evening where it might be problematic or you feel you embarrass yourself a bit later or you wake up and you feel terrible now if you've got social anxiety alcohol may help you in those first few steps but your social anxiety the following few days will be terrible absolutely and I think that's partly why younger people have shifted their drinking patterns the most is because they're far more in tune with their mental health than any other generation and they've decided that alcohol isn't doing their mental health any good so they don't want it in their diet yeah. in the same way as they will take up cycling to be fitter and take sugar out their diet as well so if we really all sit and take a step back and say well which are the drinks that I really enjoy and who is it I'm with and I really enjoy them and what are the occasions maybe if I save drinking for those and not mindlessly open a bottle of wine every time I get in from work but because somehow I believe this day has been more stressful than any other day but I've said that every day this week. Um, maybe that's where people can begin to change their drinking patterns. I think that's what it's about. It's, you know, positive life choice, who you want to be, what kind of life you want to lead. Uh, and again, your point, um, Yasmin, was, was really interesting about having the control. You know, I, I have lots of friends who are able to control their drinking and it doesn't play a large part in their life. But I think it's quite easy to develop bad habits, especially during lockdown. You know, when, when uh, Simon will tell you, Towards the beginning of lockdown, alcohol sales absolutely rocketed throughout retailers. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the sales of alcohol-free stuff online went up as well, highly not so much echoed out of, in retail, but this is a very new category. And it's quite difficult to knock bad habits when you develop them. You know, I worked for, for a number of years uh, as a financial trader in the city, and it was just normal to have a couple of glasses of wine with lunch, a couple of beers in the afternoon, 
all of a sudden, you know, you're having another beer when you get home, then you're drinking every day, you know, then it's the weekend and you're going out. All of a sudden, you are drinking every day as part of work and it's normal. Uh, on paper, that's no good, you know. Uh, and are you, are you achieving the things you want to achieve? Probably not. Uh, are you really invested in your work? Probably not. It's probably not all alcohol's fault either, but it certainly doesn't help. I've gone from being, you know, a bit of a drunk joke, essentially, you know, to, to being a completely different proposition in two years. And for me, I've noticed a, a huge difference. And that's kind of part of what our company su- suggests is, you know, why don't you take a step back from having that gin and tonic every night, you know, and, and or if you're going to have two, why don't you have one clean gin and tonic one alcohol gin and tonic, or just try the clean stuff. Mm. Maybe you'll wake up feeling better. Maybe you'll achieve more. Maybe you'll be a better parent, whatever, you know? Yeah. It's like I say that if um, if you were to be able to buy a pill that would help you sleep better, give you more energy, make you more productive, look a bit younger, feel mentally more stable, you might pay quite a lot of money for it, but you could mm. just cut down on what you're drinking and achieve a lot of that. Yeah. And save money because yeah, uh, exactly. you know, yeah. taxes and takeaways, you know, are the additional costs to boozy nights out. And I certainly have been able to um, live on a lot less money since giving up drinking and make far better decisions for my life. It's been interesting from a from a lockdown perspective. I was expecting sales of non-alcohol to actually fall away um, and they haven't. I mean, certainly at the co-op, they've been growing at 100% hmm. like for like, which is fantastic. And I think because I made the false assumption that a lot of people buy alcohol-free because they are driving somewhere. And obviously in lockdown, you couldn't really go anywhere. Mm. So I was thinking, well, the, the main reason for buying a, an alcohol-free product is so you can be the designated driver. Apparently not. No. It is you know, it is down to flavour and it's about refreshment and it's about you know, having a, a drink that suits it's you. It's about marking that change in day. So people still want to mark that yeah. d- daytime to evening. I still have drinks that I only drink in the evening here. Yeah. For me, it's part of that winding down ritual and that's really important to people. Yeah. And for some reason, the UK is the leading and growth market in this space in the world. I'm not sure if that's because we started from a very high base, but the fact uh, well. <laughs> that we're, you know, the innovators like Spencer are coming from the UK. They're all small entrepreneurs yeah who all have their own story behind their brand. And people are really liking being part of that, that movement and that feeling. You use the word ritual, yeah. which, which, is, which is a big part of it. Because yeah. like, if you used to drink alcohol a lot like I did, and you fancy a gin and tonic or a rum and coke, cracking open a can of coke isn't going to do it. You know, it doesn't give you that feeling, that, that, that release of, oh, you know, that, that, you know, having a barman pour you something lovely or, or, or creating something yourself and mixing it yourself is part of that winding down feeling. When you make yourself a clean gin and tonic or a clean rum and coke, every, everything that comes with the alcoholic drink you have there right in front of you, it smells the same, it tastes the same, it's made in the same way. It gives me that feeling. When I have a clean, clean gin and tonic in the evening, I feel like I'm having a gin and tonic and that's the point. You know? mm-hmm. Whereas when you get put into a category of, oh no, I can't drink that, you feel socially alienated uh, from people for making a positive life decision. So like when you decide to give up drinking and you go out uh, with other people, you feel like the odd one out. For being, you know, If you were fit and going to the gym and you'd worked on your body to the point where you were delighted, you feel good about it. Whereas when you give up alcohol nowadays in society, it's still a little bit backwards. You know, you should feel good about that decision. Whereas yeah. at the moment, it's not a normal thing to be sober, really. Although it's very much moving that way. And alternatives and replacements to full strength alcohol is just one way of, of achieving that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I also think it's 
moderating what you normally drink. And by that, I mean, if you are making a gin and tonic, we've actually bought ourselves a, a jigger, I love the word jigger, at home. But it does mean that you actually, rather than free pour, you measure out. Yeah. And actually, I've found that I prefer a single rather than a double. And yet, the normal serve has now become a, a double gin and tonic. Yeah. And I, I do think having that ability to, to measure what it is that you consume and have visibility of it, and actually you don't diminish the enjoyment of the drink. If anything, it's a more refreshing long drink with a single in there rather than a double. Do you feel like, um, going back to talking about lockdown and the, um, you know, people taking in alcohol in a very, very different way, you're saying that, you know, the alcohol sales have gone up. Do you think because people, like you say, Spencer, are in control of bringing that sort of bar to their kitchen and they're like, right, well, normally if I go out to a bar, they might be a bit stingy on, you know, the pouring and I'm just going to go for it. Do you think that's been quite popular at the moment and, and why sales have gone up? The discussion has been that people are drinking more in lockdown. Some people are drinking more in lockdown. There's lots of less. Yeah, and, ge- and generally it's the people who were already drinking quite a lot before lockdown. People for whom the social pressure for drinking so going out and socialising and drinking, some of them have completely dropped off drinking altogether over the period. And then people who had strategies in place for moderation or changing their drinking continued those through lockdown. So it's important to note that some of the biggest, the biggest purchasers of alcohol-free beer and spirits and wine are people who also buy alcohol. Mm-hmm. So they weren't only going out and buying alcohol, they're probably buying alcohol-free because people are taking days off, they're starting their evening with alcohol-free or, you know, like I always say, that the healthiest thing you can drink in the pub next to water is an alcohol-free beer. Mm. So why would you go for a pint of Coke when you can have actually what is um, a healthy drink with no sugar in? So people are picking up those drinks for all sorts of different reasons. But also, unfortunately, in, it, when, when faced with adversity, you know, unfortunately, it's a kind of automatic re- reaction for many people to turn to alcohol or, or chocolate. I've had a bad day. Let's have a drink. Yeah. I'm stressed about this. Let's have a drink. Oh, my girlfriend's <laughs> treating me like this. I'm going to have a drink. Do you think it's also earlier on in the day as well when you're locked down? Well, it, it, people were drinking because because their hands were tied and, you know, oh, there's nothing I can do. I can't go to work. I may as well have a drink. And that's just, that's a very dangerous thing to get into because actually from experience, it's quite hard to break when, when drinking becomes normal. And, and I was someone who drank a lot without ever becoming aggressive, nasty, horrible. Like I was always like, I was never a bad drunk, but you're still drunk kind of, kind of all the time almost. And it's just, it's a real eye opener actually to kick it to the curb and see what's achievable without it. I certainly know that we would never have been able to start this kind of business uh, if I was still drinking the way that I was, but then again, I would have never started it in the first place. Because, so, <laughs> you just so, yeah. something else. It's one of those yeah, exactly. I wanted to um, just touch on briefly, you know, the stereotypes of um, the consumption of alcohol when it comes to regions. I'm from Manchester. And so I, when I moved to London, uh, a lot of my friends from down here were like, oh no, she could handle her drink. She's from Manchester. They drink like, you've got alcohol running through your brain, uh, your veins and brain. Um, <laughs> in Manchester, if it's the weekend, we'd go out and we'd get quote unquote hammered. Uh, when I came to London, I was like, Oh, we drink it on a Monday. Okay. Yeah. Okay. After work, it's been a hard Monday. All right, let's go for um, dinner. Yes, I'll have a cocktail. Yes, I'll have them. It just became, there was no specific day. And that's my personal experience. And I've yeah. been here for 10 years. But inter- interestingly, the, the consumption of alcohol, beer, specifically beer, is really regional. 
So the biggest over-index is within London. The lowest index is actually the northwest, uh, the northeast, and Yorkshire. So just to your point about kind of they were wrong. <laughs> being from Manchester and, you know, enjoying a drink, it, it does seem that the, um, the adoption of alcohol-free drinks is certainly far quicker in the capital. And whether or not that's down to education, whether or not that's because there is more choice available or whether or not it's, I don't know, a broader attitudinal thing uh, where there is still a stigma attached to not going out or not going to the pub or going to the pub and not consuming uh, alcohol while there in the north, I don't know. Uh, but it's it's very clear in the data that we see. I mean, it's, it is fascinating because we, we like to make those comparisons in order to justify all sorts of things like, oh, the French have got it sorted because, you know, they, they drink moderately with food. But actually the rate of liver cirrhosis and those things in, in France is, is just as bad, if not slightly more. So we love yeah. to make comparisons that make us feel worse or better, depending on where we're going. I think what's been fascinating for me is we set up clubsodaguide.com four years ago now, which was our aim to try and nudge pubs towards putting more low and no behind the bar and it automatically creates the score for venues it makes them fill in which brands they've got and it creates a score for them and different things are weighted in different ways and we launched that in 2017 which is actually where the word mindful drinking came from because I wanted to call it a guide for healthier drinkers but because we talk about low as well as no alcohol we couldn't do that but what has we we've we have to rechange the scoring because there's so many pubs at the minute that are stocking so much good alcohol free at the minute that the bar has suddenly risen quite quickly mm. and that's not just in london that's across the country yes there is definitely more keenness to experiment in london and definitely um, because there are, I think, more experienced nights out where people can go and, you know, you can go to the virtual reality bar and they've got an amazing alcohol-free menu because it's the experience that's the star of the show rather than the drink. And so that diversity helps. But it's definitely nationwide in terms of, of adoption and, and getting there, really. It, I mean, it is fascinating because actually we're talking about it now and we're talking about drinks in particular. But the, the, the drinks go hand in hand with the change in attitude. So it's now much easier to say you don't want to drink and your mates not give you a hard time for it. That is shifting as people's knowledge around the product shift. And the fact that everyone's drinking alcohol-free drinks, it's not just about people who have a problem. Mm-hmm. That means it shifts the attitudes. And so it's going hand in hand. And for me, sitting where I am, as somebody who started Club Soda five years ago, 2017, we launched the guide. 2017, in the summer, I decided to do a festival, Mindful Drinking Festival. We've done seven now. I was petrified nobody was going to turn up because it was such a new thing. We managed to couple together 20 brands. I mean, now we have over 60 at the festival, but we managed to couple together 20 brands. And it went mental. And at the minute, you know, this is just the start of something. And already the momentum is really strong. The narrative is really positive and exciting. And it's something that everyone can engage in because we don't all drink all the time every day. So if you want to support your local pub, but don't drink or don't want to drink today, you don't have to go, oh, no, the pub's all about drinking. I'm not going. You go, of course, I'll come at lunchtime because I can have an alcohol-free beer or whatever. And uh, I did a tweet because, you know, the media have been going mad about Rishi Sunak, um, you know, who's off to the pub despite the fact that he's not drinking. And I've been tweeting saying the pubs for a long time now have been about more than just drinking. There are social spaces. They're about welcoming everybody. There's no reason why Rishi Sunak shouldn't go to the pub just because he doesn't drink alcohol, because the pub will have food and drink and probably a nice game of pool for him as well. So, you know, uh, that's an attitude that we also begin to change. It's massively helped that 
the quality of alcohol view products has really stepped on over the last few years. If I cast my mind back when I started, was going to the pub as a, as a youth, then there was only really one alcohol-free option in the chili behind the bar, which wasn't particularly good. But now I, I kind of think there's some really good products out there. You know, there's a lot more uh, investment from the brewers going into really upping the game. And not just the brewers. I think Diageo as a global giant has said that 20% of their new product development will be in alcohol-free. And that is, I mean, must be great for you, Spencer, because that, having someone like Diageo supporting this sector yeah. adds some real weight to it. And undoubtedly some advertising support. It, it is really exciting. And if we are successful in what we're doing, um, next year is going to be insanely exciting. <laughs> and this makes me really excited because actually what all of this is about for me as somebody who you know has community campaigning in my veins is that it means that everybody is welcome to wherever you are that's whatever really social important. occasion Inclusive. Yeah, it's really important. whatever you get whatever time of day everybody is treated like a, the same customer and I I get so annoyed when I go to particularly some very big companies in the city where they will pour you wine and beer but if you're not drinking you get to help yourself to some warm orange juice in a jug in the corner I mean, it's not 1918, it's not breakfast. What's going on? You know, so, um, so I, I want to banish those sorts of occasions. Um, and so we move, need to move away from that very alcocentric headspace and recognise that this is about good experiences for all and making sure that everybody has a choice for, for every occasion. That's very important. For you guys, I wondered if you would be able to share what, your journey from changing from drinking to being sober. I'll start with you, Spencer. How how did your friends react? You were on a very high profile TV show at one point where, you know, we could see everyone sort of partying and drinking and things like that. No one ever lets me forget it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. Tried to put it, it in the back. Yeah, no, no. That... So you're, you're no, in no, the back of my runner's world. That made you a star in my eyes. <laughs> Oh, thanks. But, but actually, I think that we have evidence of your transition and your, you know, you going, going, your journey, your health journey uh, for mind and body. But when you went to go make that change, how supportive were your friends and family about it? Uh, very family more so than than friends. But even I think uh, I think it came as a bit of a shock to quite a lot of people when I said, you know, I've got a drinking problem. I need to I need to be sober. I think uh, most people initially thought that, oh, you're going to be less fun. Or if somebody doesn't understand when you want to when you want to go sober mm. uh, and gets in the way in any way, I'd suggest they're probably not a real friend. You know, I've always been more family than, than friends. Uh, and now got my hands really full with business. I wouldn't say I had much of a social life. I mean, we've got a second uh, second child on the way and uh, I love being at home. I love uh, spending a lot of time with my wife. But um, anyone who doesn't understand that it's just obviously a positive decision needs to grow up, essentially. <laughs> it, it, it very much depends person to person. If you have control over your alcohol, fantastic, no problem. If somebody ever says to you, I think I have a drinking problem, they probably do. And, and you know, it, and, and, if, and if, if somebody wants to go sober definitely let them because it could be the start of a brand new uh life where they can achieve the unthinkable and, and be the person that they want to be you know so sorry to get all, all hollywood on you but it's it shouldn't have to be a huge decision mm -hmm. you know it shouldn't be black or white it, sh it should just be like this isn't working for me you, you also shouldn't need anyone else's permission yeah you shouldn't need to explain yourself in any way you know you should be able to just give it up or just completely moderate or stop going out or you know and if you have a group of friends who insist on drinking all the time who are giving you a hard time about being sober 
let them lead the lives that they want to live. You know, I think people grow up at different times. I think people set different goals, different ambitions. Just because you went to school with someone doesn't necessarily mean they're on the same path as you. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to reassess those relationships. And if you have chosen to stop drinking alcohol completely, you know, or, or lower your consumption and you've realised that a friendship has just primarily been built on that, then, you know, that's just that's another thing that you have to sort of assess when making your transition to be even more dramatic. That's why all options had to come to light and exist yeah. you know like yeah. part of what we're doing is that you don't have to change your behavior you know you can still go to the pub or order a bottle of gin and drink the bottle of gin or have the gin and tonic you just won't get drunk so in a social setting mm-hmm. it makes no difference yeah. you know like if you're all drinking gin and tonics i'll have a clean one you know so you're still mixing and making the gin and tonics and all of a sudden you don't stick out like a sore thumb you fit in and it's a positive life choice the same way that you know, if everybody's having some filthy, big, deep stuffed crust pizza and you have a little thin one in the restaurant, you're all still eating pizza, you know. Now I want pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of interested in the alternative drinks. You know, you talked Me about, too. you know, it, it doesn't always have to be an alcoholic drink, but there are certain settings. So sitting down for a, a dinner party and having a meal with your friends where it isn't right to have a glass of Coke because it's just not going to match with whatever you're eating. Yeah. And I, I think, I think this is where I'm kind of really, really interested because as I said earlier, my, my love is food as much as it is drinking. That, that's because you love your, you love, you like your wine moment with food. Uh, I do. I have to say that young people aren't drinking wine like uh, the older age category. So that's already a big yeah. shift. And what you've pointed out though, is a really important thing. What's the occasion, not what the, what's the drink, what's the occasion yeah. At the minute, there are some dealkalized wines, and wine's got a long way to go. And partly, I think that's the way that the the, the sector's structured. But there are yeah. many drinks coming into the wine occasion. I have discovered actually that apparently, you know, alcohol-free wine tastes better with food because apparently that's how wine tastes better. Who knew? Um, no, you shouldn't drink it like I used to drink it, just at any, yeah. any occasion. So even alcohol-free wine has its place, but with the food rather than on its own, it doesn't quite have that appeal. So I yeah. think we, we need to begin to talk more about occasion. What's your after work, relaxing at home occasion? What's your going out with friends and drinking cocktails occasion? What's your, your with food occasion? And then begin to offer options. I've been to Michelin starred restaurants where they've offered me Coke as the alcohol-free alternative. Uh, mm. And I, that, that says to me that someone on the line, they just they, they thought about their customers all the way to one point. And then when that point was when they didn't agree with the customer, they decided to not serve that customer at all um, yeah. with anything. I, so I take tea. Pairing tea is just the most amazing thing you can you can yeah. do with food. So we need to begin to think about occasions and helping people find the right drink for them for the occasion. It's interesting. As a, as a retailer, you know, as the co-op, we, we try and look at everything from an occasion or from a mission perspective. And when I look at the drinks category at the moment, we still kind of force consumers to make quite a binary choice between alcoholic or non-alcoholic rather than potentially presenting them with a here's a meal solution and if it happens to be Indian cuisine, you can have mango lassi, you can have beer, you can have alcohol-free beer or you can have a kombucha. And I think it's probably how we can help more make those alternatives more simpler for the consumer to find. 
there's still a lot of work to do in this space to not only have the options available, but to help yeah. you sell those options as well, because the behavior is different. People's, people are looking at different yeah. things when they're looking for alcohol free. People want to know different stuff, but they also want to be treated equally as a consumer. Yeah. I, but I, I also think we, from a, from a retailer perspective, you've got to look at the majority of the sales come from an alcoholic variant. So still within beer, it's only 1.3% of the total category sales is alcohol-free. And I think you've got to offer a credible offer. I completely get that. But I also think we need to think beyond just substituting your favorite brand for an alcohol-free brand. You've got to think about the broader drinks offer that occupies that occasion space. It's really important that we begin to educate the consumer because also it allows people to do what you've managed to do, Simon, which is go, actually, I can reduce the amount I drink by switching down to a single gin and tonic, not a double gin and tonic. These are proactive choices. And our research has shown that people still don't quite understand low alcohol, like the table beers at 2.5 and stuff like that. But until we can sort out some of the issues around classification of alcohol free, we can't begin to talk to people about the ways that you can hack your own drinks to bring down the ABV. Like a cocktail with um, some of the fortified wines in a far lower ABV than the the, the mine. But I I think that is is a really engaging way of talking to consumers about how they can moderate more without necessarily going right down the sobriety route, the complete alcohol free, how you moderate I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great point of engagement, you know. Well, with that in mind, you know, if, uh, anyone who's listening to the the podcast episode at the moment, if they were thinking of giving up alcohol or at least cutting down, for you, you know, what, what advice would you give? What alternatives would you give? I'll start actually with you, Simon, if you have any. I, I think um, looking at the occasion that you're trying to match a drink to, and then exploring what the alternatives are. I think that's been a really interesting takeaway for me. So looking at things like kombuchas or uh, kefirs or these fermented drinks that are not as sugary, the thing that puts me off a lot of soft drinks is that they are really, really sweet, and that doesn't really suit my palate. Um, And particularly when I'm trying to drink something that goes with food. So actually, I think for me... Personally, there's still a lot of exploration to do, which is exciting. I quite like going out and trying uh, new things. I also get the bit about ritual, and there is a certain time of day, and it feels like a a segue from working life to home life, and a drink plays quite an important part in that. But also the ritual of creating something that you can sit there and savour, and it feels like a reward. And I don't get that from making myself a glass of cordial or pouring myself a a pint of water so i i do think there is a there is definitely room and space in there uh to expand things like alcohol free spirits i think from our perspective as a convenience retailer it's great to look at things like single serves and probably smaller unit sizes purely because it makes it more affordable and i think the reason why alcohol-free beer is probably being very successful is the unit cost to trial it is relatively low so consumers will switch into it and give it a try and give it a go and because the quality is getting much better they're actually thinking well that is a great proposition and i'll come back and i'll buy it again and again but i think i would urge people to go and explore in the space and there are some great products out there 
I do love a kombucha in a cafe. Sometimes if I yeah. go out and I have one with the meal, I think, bloody hell, that's expensive. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I what. enjoy it. I, 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 you know, my choices, whatever I'm eating or drinking will always be to, you know, more often than not to benefit my health. But um, one kombucha down, I'm like, well, I don't think I'll go for another one. Yeah, yeah. Part of my point is, I think, the, the alcohol-free current offer appeals to the more affluent shopper. And I do think there is more that we can do as an industry just to give it broader appeal by taking away some of those price barriers uh, and perhaps being a bit more creative. And I love the idea of, you know, creating something that moderates alcohol um, without necessarily sacrificing any of the flavour. Yeah. And Laura, how about yourself? What would you, you know, what what products would you me- recommend? What drinks? I think, first of all, if you're thinking about changing your drinking, then um, it's worth remembering that taking some time off drinking isn't going to do you any harm. So it's worth giving yourself a month. Personally, I'd say three months um, because that seems to be the golden point for a lot of people and being able to have nearly experienced nearly everything that they would encounter if they were changing their drinking. And particularly if you want to moderate, most people think, well, I'm going to moderate because I don't think I can have a meal out or go out on a Saturday night without drinking. But of course, until you learn to go and have a meal out without drinking or go out on a Saturday night without drinking, you don't get to learn how to navigate those situations and to really truly be in control of your drinking. So uh, you know, we take people through a process of reflecting on the life they want to lead, you know, where, what drinks they've enjoyed, who they've been with, the one that they haven't enjoyed, who they've been with and what they've been doing and where they've been when doing those and thinking about setting themselves some new rules around when and where and how they will drink. And I think that's really important because you want to be in control of this decision. So just remember, it's not going to do you any harm just to take a break. There is something for everybody. And it may be that it's a little concoction of your own that you've made. Stick it in a small bottle, take it to the pub with you, pimp your own tonic, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, But make sure that you feel like you're included by taking control of the situation. Great. Thank you. How about you, Spencer? I won't shamelessly plug my one thing, one thing, you know, I did spend many months trying to recreate what I believe yeah. to, most, to be the most authentic tasting products. Uh, and I think, you know, we, we've done a pretty good job, but you know, we were looking to, to also make a difference to, to the bar call uh, and the way in which people, you know, consume these drinks and the way in which they're ordered. Um, I personally, not it's a separate convo really, but I find, you know, non-alcoholic anything to be, uh, a, a bit of a negative connotation uh, when in fact, you know, what it sounds like when you're ordering a non-alcoholic beer, it sounds like what you really want is a beer, right? So so it's kind of like you're already shooting yourself in the foot a bit and, oh, why is he having a non-alcoholic drink? Is he an alcoholic or, or whatever? Is she pregnant? Is he driving? You know, there's no real good reason to be ever ordering anything that, that starts with non. So I, I thought that, uh, you know, if you feel like a, a gin and tonic, have a clean gin and tonic, a rum and coke, clean rum and coke. Uh, who knows? Clean wi- clean beer, clean wine could be on the horizon. For those people who are looking to just be alert and in control at all times uh, and really take the old bull by the horns for whatever reason, I would suggest drinking clean. It's It's really interesting. We will buy a brand of alcohol that we've never tried before because we know what it does. 
we won't often even spend £1.50 on an alcohol-free drink unless we know we definitely like it. It's the thing, psychologically, we have this thing. It's partly why we created the Mindful Drinking Festival, so that people could come and taste everything and talk to the makers and, you know, have their mind blown by these amazing tastes. So one thing to say is, is, you know, split the cost with a friend if it's expensive, go along to an event um, that, you know, some of the brands will be at and try the drinks and talk to the producers and understand where this may fit into your life. I think go out on a limb, spend a little bit more than you normally would. But what you might find is your new best, wonderfulest drink that will help you moderate or go alcohol free. And that would be priceless. Well, thank you so much for talking and being a part of this discussion with me. It's, it's been brilliant for me to hear and incredibly eye-opening, especially on the business side of things when it comes to consuming alcohol, which I had no clue about. So um, thank you so much for sharing your experiences. Thank you for being a part of it. It's an absolute pleasure. And for any Anyone who's listening, if you are interested in exploring a sober, curious lifestyle or mindful drinking, head to the co-op website to check out the low and no alcohol ranges. And remember, if you do drink, please do so responsibly. For more information, visit the Drink Aware website. If you've enjoyed this week's episode of In It Together, then tune in next week when I'll be discussing the true power of community with Shelf Help founder Tony Jones and Co-op's Director of Community Strategy and Activation, Helen Carroll. In It Together, brought to you by Co-op. All views are those of our guests and not Co-op.